0: This is a very busy week and it's a short week at that as well. We have several central banks meeting. One of them at least is expecting a sharp rise in interest rates. The war in Ukraine isn't going away and that's not helping with rising inflation. We get the numbers from the United States on that this week and producer prices from China today. But what about the price of food? Up almost 13% in a month. Even more if you cook with vegetable oil and elections. It's a close race in France and the same for Australia of course. It's Monday the 11th of April 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, US stocks really turned last week. We saw a 1.3% fall in the NASDAQ on Friday. It was down 3.9% over the week. In fact, over the week, most Stock indices around the world were down. We had a 2.5% fall in the Nikkei, 1.5% off for the Eurostoxx50, 1.3% down for the S&P 500, 1.1% down for the DAX. But a switch around on Friday in Europe, uh, whilst US stocks were falling, the Eurostoxx50 was up 1.5%. So was the DAX. But really, it's yields we've got to talk about. Friday saw front-end yields growing the fastest on US Treasuries. Uh, two years were up 5.3 basis points. Ten years were up 45 But if we look over the week, there was a significant steepening of the curve. Two years were up less than six basis points. Ten years were up 32. So that is quite a difference. Ten years finishing the week at 2.7%. And the US dollar, well, it grew 1.2% last week, but it ran out of steam on Friday. The DXY was only marginally up on the day, getting over 100, though, on Friday, which is the highest it's been for almost two years. On a day that saw the Kiwi dollar down 0.6%, the pound down 0.4%, the yen and the Aussie both down 0.3%. The euro was pretty flat, but over the week it lost 1.5%. So did the yen and oil. Well, Brent gained 2.2% on Friday to 102.78 a barrel, but it was 1.5% down over the week. And iron ore lost 3.9% last week, but coal. Up 12.7%, 3.5% of that on Friday. Uh, So numbers all over the place. Uh, It's been like that for a while now, hasn't it? Ray Atrell is with me this morning from NAB in Sydney. Uh, We are getting used to these big swings, aren't we, from day to day, and Friday was no exception. This big swing back in front-end yields for US Treasuries, for example. The uh, lack of confidence for the US dollar momentarily, uh, you know, to the uninformed eye. It looks like investors really don't, <laughs> don't have a clue where the market's going right now. Uh,
1: morning, Phil. That, uh, well, I think the, the, you know, the, the common thread is that uh, yields are still rising. So, yes, we've got the U.S. Mm. curve, you know, flipping from you know being inverted so just over a week ago to being you know definitely um, positive now. But uh, because ten-year yields have risen inexorably, and I think a lot of what's happening across other markets, be it um, foreign exchange or equities, is sort of directly feeding off that latest ratchet up in 10-year yields. I think we got to 273 at one point on Friday and closed at 2.7. That's the highest close we've had in this cycle. Um, And it certainly took a a little bit of a bite out of the the tech stocks, which have proved to be the most interest rate sensitive. So, the NASDAQ, as you say, significantly underperforming uh, both the S&P um and certainly european stocks at least and that dxy dollar index uh, touching uh, 100 for the first time since i think may uh, 2020
0: um so why so and- why this why this change then to to see the rise happening in 10 years rather than at the front end because we were you know we still have the case where you know i mean markets are still very responsive to central bankers uh, and it seems like they're still you know trying to up the rhetoric each time they talk Although, I guess, on, on Friday, Bostic and Evans did seem to put a few caveats on things, didn't they? You know, it's still all about the data rather than uh, uh, just, uh, prov- you know, moving rates up willy-nilly.
1: Yes, that, that, that's, that's true to some extent, although, you know, reading, so as you said, Charles Evans from the Chicago Fed, Raphael Bostic from the Atlanta Fed, both considered to be more at the kind of slightly dovish end of the Fed spectrum. Yeah. Uh, but they both talked about the need to get rates up to neutral, um, almost on autopilot, and not until we get there um, that they sort of start feeling their way and becoming you know, much more data dependent as to whether or not rates need to go into outright restrictive territory. And I was just reflecting on the March FOMC meeting and the latest dot plot has the neutral rate was actually nudged down, or the median estimate, if you like, of the neutral Fed funds rate came down from, what, 2.5 to 2.4. But that's saying that there does seem to be almost unanimous support to get rates up to neutral. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so 2.4. And so, you know, on that basis, you know, with the risk that we have to go restrictive and on the view that, you know, ultimately, the ten-year rate should trade, you know, somewhere close to where the market perceives to peak in the Fed funds rate to be. Uh, and at the moment, you'd say that is uh, that's probably closer to three percent than two and a half percent. So, in that, on that basis, I, I don't think the rise in ten is particularly surprising. Right.
0: And yet, yeah, you know, the, wasn't the thinking well, okay, it's going up at the front end because we've got to do something about it. So, interest rates are going to go up. At some point, we are going to see that there's been a transitory element in all of this. So, things will, you know, the the, the policy will work plus the fact things were going to level themselves out at some point anyway so 10 so 10 years weren't quite as uh, weren't quite as high but we're not seeing that now
1: mm-hmm. well certainly we've we have still got that expectation that you know the fed will you know the fed will carry on tightening until something breaks something breaks being either the economy uh, or clear signs that the back of this inflation surge has been uh, broken um, but you know although we've seen the curve you know steepening it, it, it's a bearish move across the whole curve isn't it so we have got front end yields rising it's just you know the back end is rising a little bit more just at the moment and
0: those those figures for food prices on on Friday from the UN Food and Agricultural World Food Price Index, twelve point six percent month on month, it was up, up to one hundred and fifty nine point three. It's up a third in one year. Vegetable oil uh, is up fifty five percent. So the, these are staggering numbers. But hopefully, all very short term. The question is, isn't it? I mean, if um, you know, if if we hadn't had a war, uh, would we? Uh, and, and perhaps if we hadn't seen more lockdowns in China, would things be starting to? cool back down a bit bit. you know would we see some sort of transitory element in all of this well you look at those food prices i yeah, well, think it's a big ask isn't it
1: well that's right but what we do know is uh, you know whether the war ends tomorrow um we can but wish or, or not mm. you know the disruption to agricultural supplies particularly from ukraine in the sense that you know the wheat crop um you know is probably not going to occur this year to a large extent so you know whether or not you know there is the ability to, to, to start exporting stuff that's been constrained by the war. There clearly is going to be, you know, a supply shock that is going to last for quite some time. And uh, I'm sure everybody down here doesn't. Uh, wouldn't be at all surprised to learn that uh, food prices have gone up as much as, uh, was it, 12.6% in the last year. And a lot of that obviously will be revealed no, in, the, uh, that's in the month. The Q1 CPI numbers at the that's end and, uh, towards the end of the month. That's
0: 12.6% in the month. month. Yeah, that's, the, that's what's shock, shocking about all of this, isn't it? Uh, and hence, I guess that's why the panic about having to do something. So Yannis Stenaris, who's the, uh, the uh, not, not that Yanis, the, uh, the, the Bank of Greece governor Yanis, uh, uh, seemed to be saying basically, um, it, it's, uh, you know, you could fix all of this in a month. It really is just supply side driven. It could all be fixed in a month, but you kill the economy doing that that's
1: right so there is a question of you know what's the tolerance but at the same time you know he's done a done a mario Draghi from a decade ago talking about we'll do whatever it takes to uh, to bring inflation to heal Mm. Um, and said i'll stop there as we're in a silent period and we do have the ecb this week obviously but uh, there are no new forecasts so um but a lot of interest in you know whether they might give a hint that they're going to call time on their uh, asset purchase program and as early as q2 as the, the previous guidance was that uh, it would wind up at some point in q3 so if, if, they do, if we do get a signal on that and um, you know that will be a sign that uh, they're do feeling they're going to have to respond um, to this um inflation or the risk of this inflation threat not uh, not fully unwinding itself and doing something a little sooner rather than
0: later well the other cause of inflation of course is the fact that we do still have lockdowns going on in china i wonder whether they're going to be over soon though because the xinhua news agency has uh, said it's not going to be long before those spring warm days will uh, see life return to normal and uh and president which sounds idyllic doesn't it president xi has been patting himself on the back as well about how well he's handled it all uh, and of course, you know, there's still this expectation, isn't there, that, that their approach in China is going to be supportive, not restrictive. There's going to be more fiscal spending, not less. So, no tightening by the central bank for quite some time. So, wouldn't that be driving inv- foreign investment into China? Wouldn't everyone be saying, "Well, okay, this is the environment we want to be we want to be involved in"?
1: Um, well, it's. Um there's a lot to unpack as far as uh, foreign investment at- attitudes towards China. Certainly, the indications are that there has been a reversal of, uh, of capital flows into China in the last couple of months. It's not clear to what extent Russia has had a hand in that in terms of it's been one of the places where they have had access to, uh, to, to assets that may just be you know the, the Russian Central Bank, for example, withdrawing assets, or so whether it is global investors. You know because of yeah. um, you know China's tacit support yeah. for uh, for Russia in relation to Ukraine is is causing a, a bit of a rethink on on global investor attitudes. Um, certainly, we do think that uh, you know as we go through the year, uh, the very positive trade backdrop, you know weak imports, strong exports, that is helping to support the currency, uh, may well go into reverse. The interest rate. Uh, differential will probably become even less attractive in fact we might see something uh, as early as this week on uh, on Chinese uh, policy rates so um you know we do think that uh, we're going to be facing uh, more of a hostile environment as far as the currency is concerned in our forecasts we do have some quite uh, significant uh, strengthening in the US dollar against the, uh, the renminbi and uh, also the Aussie dollar by by default, and, and it? how it so, um, <laughs> but lots of moving parts there, there are
0: and and of course part of it is, is inflation in China as well. So we, uh, we get PPI and CPI uh, today. So producer prices uh, rose 8.8% in February, but CPI was still low. I'm not quite sure how they're managing that. Perhaps, perhaps it's because they are locking down, uh, and so CPI will start rising when people start shopping again but how important are these numbers to us right now in this environment
1: um i mean i think probably the the ppi numbers are more important in the global context because um you know they, they do give us an indication about uh, global inflation or disinflationary pressures you know, china has historically been an exporter of both disinflation and uh, and and inflation so they'll be of interest, but CPI still, you know, is expected to to move on to a one point something from uh, from less than one. Remember that the PBOC has a, a an implicit target of around three percent for CPI, and on which basis you'd say that inflation is no constraint at present to uh, to further easing of the uh, of the monetary reins, at least. And obviously, China's. You know CPI very dominated by food so interesting to see you know, given what you've just said about those monthly food prices yeah. whether they show up in CPI and, and that would pretend an upside surprise today so let's see
0: Yeah and uh, yes in the war uh, uh, Sir Alexander Dvornikov I've almost certainly pronounced that wrong but he's going to be leading the Russian attack now apparently he's the man who uh, led the Russian forces in Syria alongside Al-Assad's troops who use chemical weapons on their own people so that doesn't look particularly hopeful does it? Uh, but we have had uh, Shlavon Delayan uh, in Bukha in Ukraine, looking at the atrocities there and saying, look, if you want to join the EU, uh, we'll see if we can fast track that for you if that's the decision uh, the ukrainian people want to take and then also over the weekend boris johnson uh, meeting with zelensky uh, in kiev and saying look we'll, we'll provide some more arms for you so on both counts russia is not going to be very happy uh, both with uh, joining the uh, eu and obviously the west providing even more support uh, for for ukraine so i mean you look at all of that and and this thing is not going to go away in a hurry is it
1: no absolutely but uh, yeah certainly all those weekend developments don't inspire confidence that uh, we're moving towards you know potential um, ceasefire or peace agreement far from it in fact it just uh, reinforces the fact that you know Ukraine is going to be put in a better position particularly in uh, you know fighting russian forces in the east of the country so um, unfortunately, unfortunately probably means more you know, more horror stories uh, ahead and uh, no realistic prospect of an early end to the fighting. So, um, you know, market implications at the moment do seem to be you know, relatively uh, muted, at least, don't they? There's a lot going on in things like the oil market, but, uh, almost, you know, with those uh, oil releases that we had uh, last week and obviously the EU ban on uh, coal, which I think is the reason for that uh, jump up in coal prices mm. you mentioned in the intro Beginning
0: of that. But all of this of the, presumably just adds strength to the US dollar, doesn't it?
1: Um, well, it's certainly keeping the euro um, depressed. I uh, should probably mention that mm. uh, the euro has actually opened in the Wellington market uh, over half a percent higher, which uh, seems to reflect the, uh, the first round of voting in the uh, the French presidential elections on uh, on Sunday, where um, the market's taken yep. the view that the, what is it, 28 to 24 percent for Macron versus his main rival, Marine Le Pen, um, you know, strengthens the likelihood that uh, Macron will be re-elected president in the second round runoff elections on the 24th of April. As I've just seen an opinion poll. Uh, that puts a one point gap between yeah. them, so it's by no means a, a shooting.
0: Well, 20%, I mean, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Because 20% of the, the vote in that first vote went to uh, Mélenchon, who's the, the left wing uh, candidate. He got 20%, so you'd be thinking, well, all of those would probably go over to Macron. But you never know, do you? Because people might not like Macron, the far left. And strangely, you might say, well, let's go for the far right, uh, and then we'll, you know, and then we'll decide when we get there so uh, you know you, you can never tell can you with these two stage elections how they're going to end up uh, so there's certainly uncertainty there of course we've got our own elections coming up on May the 21st as well as the as the Herald puts it the, the kid from Camperdown versus the uh, the boy from Bronte uh, that could be close as well uh, look um, we get uh, the UK monthly GDP today for February and industrial production as well uh, what else have we got coming up it, it, we're getting into we got obviously it's, it's mainly what's coming up later on in the week isn't it we've got the ECB this week the RBNZ the Bank of Canada, US CPI, corporate earnings. There's a lot to cram into what is a very short week.
1: No, there is. And uh, I think out of those, I I think it's either 25 or 50. Market very divided there. And market pricing reflecting that about the RBNZ. But just looking at the Bank of Canada, we meet on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And they've actually got more than 50 basis points of tightening priced in. So that seems to be a shoe in We had a pretty impressive bunch of uh, employment numbers out on Friday. So I think that does cement the case for uh, for 50 basis points at least. And uh, and I think then US CPI, it's pretty hard to look past that as the uh, the glamour stat, as I might like to say, in terms of the economic calendar. So so plenty to look forward to this yeah, week. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, stay with us all through the week. We will guide you through it all. Good to talk again, Ray. Catch you soon.
1: Well, do. thanks, Phil.
0: And that is Monday Morning's Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby, back again tomorrow morning. Have a great day.